Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode number 180 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. So good morning, Matt. Good morning, Mark. Busy week in terms of uh, economic data that came out uh, the past two days. So we'll definitely dive into that, talk about that, and uh, see how we wrap up the rest of the year here. What's been so enjoyable for me last evening uh, after the Fed announcement is Everyone and their brother has an opinion right now. Everyone right now is an expert on monetary policy. I have family members texting me at 9.30 at night asking me about the 200-day moving average on certain positions that they don't even have an account with me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what is happening? So I hate opinions. Everyone has an opinion. They all stink. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's going to be <laughs> a great a snippet for generating. PC there. version of that comment. But, That's great. Um, before great. we begin, as always, just want to take the first few minutes to recap the performance for the month and the year, the major indexes that we track. And these numbers are as of the market close on December 14th. Uh, this data is from YCharts. S&P 500 index down 2.1% for the month and down 16.2% for the year. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 1.8% for December, down 6.5% for the year. The NASDAQ Composite Index down 2.6% for the month, down 28.6% for the year. Uh, The Russell 2000 Index is down 3.8% for the month and down 19% for the year. Uh, the Vanguard All World X United States ETF is up 0.3% for the month and down 15% for the year. Three month Treasury rate at 4.33%, the two year Treasury rate at 4.23%, 10 year Treasury rate sitting at 3.49%. Been a little bit of downward pressure. There has on been. The yeah, obviously, if, if uh, people listen to this weekly, you know, obviously we go over the three month two-year and 10-year, um, the yields every every week on the podcast. So uh, definitely have seen some downward movement, which uh, in our opinion is beneficial for stocks at least, right? Yes, it is. Uh, moving on to big headlines, current events. As we mentioned earlier, uh, the November CPI report came out on Tuesday this week. And again, uh, this uh, podcast is being recorded on December 15th. Um, so this was two days ago. The consumer price, or excuse me, consumer prices rose last month at the slowest 12-month pace since December of 2021, which is very, very good news. Right? Very good news. And if you are a regular listener of the Independent Advisors podcast, this should not be a surprise to you. And for those that don't, they're looking around wondering, how did this happen? Right. Right. And the consumer price index, which, again, for those who don't listen every week, is a measurement of what consumers pay for goods and services, uh, climbed 7.1% in November from one year ago. uh, But that was down sharply from a 7.7% increase in October. Uh, The estimate was 7.3%. So that number came in below estimates. Mm -hmm. Core CPI, which excludes energy, or excuse me, excludes uh, volatile energy and food prices, rose 6% in November from a year ago, easing from a 6.3% gain in October. 
CPI increased 0.1% in November from the prior month compared with 0.4% in October. Core CPI rose 0.2% in November down uh, from 0.3% in October uh, and 0.6% in August and September. And again, the, the first numbers I quoted were year over year, that 7.1%. Uh, was you know from November or October a year ago, uh, and then the second numbers, the smaller ones, were from a month ago, right? So, the big point I have on this, I got two things I want to mention on this. First is, if you are wanting more predictability by what the Fed is going to do, and you see these numbers come in so soft, that is such welcome news. Mm -hmm. Okay. I still think that there is a lot of lagging data within CPI, which to me, there's a greater chance that it could continue to surprise to the downside. And my second point is, I got a piece of data to back that up. Okay. Ready for this? Longview Economics reported this on December 14th. U.S. core CPI is currently 4.3% on an annualized three-month basis after yesterday's report. It's funny, I listened to a podcast this morning that talked about this. You know where I'm going yeah. with this? Mm -hmm. Okay. But it would have been 0.7% if Zillow rental prices were used real time instead of the BLS shelter measure. So you've heard you and I talk a lot about how one of the biggest components to CPI is housing. Mm -hmm. it's very laggy. Very too. laggy. And if they were using real time data, could you imagine if they reported some of the more real-time numbers? Mm -hmm. I mean, the market would be going bonkers right now. Right. But what it does is it puts a tailwind of pressure, downward pressure on inflation right now. And I'm wondering if over the coming weeks you're going to see, let's say, revisions by Wall Street on what their peak interest rates are for the Fed, trajectory of inflation, so forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting for sure. Um, and then obviously the other big piece of news that came out uh, yesterday was the Federal Reserve interest rate announcement. So uh, as expected, they hiked rates by a half a percent, uh, moving the Fed funds rate uh, between 4.25% and 4.5%, with estimates of 5% being the terminal rate. And when I say the terminal rate, or when you hear the terminal rate, that's just the point that people expect the Fed to stop raising interest rates. Correct, sir. Right. Correct. Um, so again, I don't think... This is a situation, and again, the market doesn't care what I think. No one should care what I think about this specific topic because no one really knows. You know, it's not that we're going to hit 5% and then the next month the Fed is going to start cutting. You know, I think we're going to elevate and hover, or we're gonna, excuse me, we're going to hover around, you know, this rate for some time um, before the economy is at the point where they need to stimulate it and then begin to cut again. Eventually they'll cut, but we just don't know when that is, if that's next year, if that's 2024. Um, so it's gonna be uh, very interesting to see how this all plays out. Yeah, another way of saying it in plain English is they could easily get to that peak rate, that terminal rate of 5%, sometimes sometime either February or March, but hold it there. They could hold it there for upwards of six to 12 months before mm -hmm. they begin their cutting cycle. Again. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so uh, stocks were uh, up in the morning and early afternoon before that announcement, Matt, and then uh, sold off as the day went on. But um, I think most of the major indexes were down. Uh, it was it was uh, not any more than down one percent. I think it was like that. S and P was down 0.6 percent or something like that. So it wasn't 
uh, too big of a move. Uh, yeah. And I believe the VIX closed lower as well, which was interesting, significantly lower. I think the VIX closed 5% lower. Awesome. Which typically you don't see, right? When no. stocks are down, the VIX is, is up uh, based on fear and put buying and all that that we won't get into uh, today. It's great, though. Uh, moving on to tweets, articles, and research from this week. Uh, first thing I had was an article from Ryan Dietrich titled, uh, When Does the Santa Claus Rally Start? And this was on December 6th. Uh, and I just wanted to, to put up a chart here that Jenna will throw up on the YouTube page or on our show notes. Um, he says, one of the most well-known investment axioms is the Santa Claus Rally. And most investors assume it just means that stocks do well all of December. But this isn't the case. It turns out that most of the strength in December happens in the latter half of the month. It makes sense to me, given that this is when Santa comes. Uh, so this will show a chart of uh, seasonality for the month of December going back from 1950 uh, through 2021. And just shows that, you know, after we get past the 15th of the month, which happens to be today, um, returns tend to be pretty strong uh, going forward on average. There's a picture of uh, Will Ferrell in, in the movie Elf. One thing I didn't know last week, we had uh, a little team event that we did, and one of the, the quiz questions was, when did Elf come out? Elf came out in 2003, that That's movie. insane. It makes me feel really old. I, I hear you. I don't, I don't really remember much stuff from the early 2000s, but I do remember watching Elf for the first time. Oh, great movie. Great movie. Uh, moving on, uh, second thing I had was a blog post from Nick Majuli titled How the 60-40 Portfolio Makes a Comeback. Uh, this was back in October. So obviously we've talked several times this year about uh, how everyone thinks the 60-40 portfolio is dead. It's had its worst year since, you know, in the last 30, 40 years. Um, but Nick's going to uh, put together a scenario here where uh, this thing can make a comeback. Okay, I'm all ears. He said, if I had to imagine a, uh, a scenario where U.S. bonds got demolished, it would be hard to come up with an environment worse than the one we experienced this year. In particular, there are three primary factors that are responsible for the current decline in U.S. bonds. Low initial bond yields, yes. high inflation, yes. and rising interest rates. Yes. Firstly, there is a strong positive relationship between starting bond yields and future returns on U.S. bonds. As you can see in the chart below that I'll have Jenna put up on the YouTube page, when the uh, yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury is lower, future returns on U.S. bonds tend to be lower as well, all else being equal. And you can clearly see that in this chart. The next chart Jenna is going to put up, uh, you'll be able to see that when future inflation is higher, U.S. bond returns over the next year tend to be lower. Um, and you can see, obviously, when inflation is hovering around 0% or just above 0%, um, real returns uh, over the next year for bonds are, are typically pretty good. He continues on by saying a bond's price is inversely related to interest rates available in the marketplace. So if interest rates go up, bond prices go down and vice versa. Why is this? Because as rates rise, those bonds paying lower rates become less valuable relative to those paying higher rates. Oh, your 10-year treasury bond is paying 0.8% per year for the next decade? How cute. A new 10-year bond is paying over 4% per year. So why would I buy your bond paying 0.8% when I can get a new one paying 4%? The answer is I won't buy it unless you drop the price. And that's exactly what has happened this year is interest rates shot up from about 1% to 4%. U.S. bonds took a beating. 
In particular, intermediate-term U.S. Treasuries are down about 14% this year, while long-term Treasuries are down about 37%. And again, for context, this was back in uh, late October this year is when this article was written. Okay. 60-40 portfolio will eventually make a comeback for the exact opposite reasons why it struggled this year. If bonds don't do well when starting yields are low, inflation is high, and rates are rising, this implies that they do perform well when yields are high, inflation is low, and rates are stabilized or dropping. And while there aren't yet, uh, excuse me, and while we aren't there yet on all of these conditions, some of them have started to materialize. The most obvious one is that yields are no longer abysmally low, with the 10-year Treasury rate currently around 4.2%. And at 4.2%, the expected future real return on U.S. bonds over the next decade is positive. Um, so, again, I think just when people think something isn't going to work anymore, it's probably going to work pretty damn well. Mm -hmm. And obviously, it, we still may have further to go with yields continuing to rise over the long term. But we're closer today than we were at the end of the year of the turnaround in, in these bond prices, I think. Absolutely. I mean, you had the worst uh, bond performance in the first six months of this year going back to the 70s. And so everyone's, you know, trying to, you know, poo-poo the, the 60-40 kind of moderate risk allocation. And I just think it's extremely false. Yeah. No, I agree. So um, quick note, not going to steal uh, Taylor's thunder uh, when she replaces me here uh, in a little bit. But um, just another financial health tip uh, of the week from me uh, prior to the end of the year. It's a good time to tax loss harvest, Matt. I know yep. we've, we've talked about this before, but again, for newer people, uh, tax loss harvesting is selling securities at a loss to offset the amount of capital gains that have been realized for the year. So if you sell XYZ stock in, in 2022 and realize, let's say, a, a $5,000 long-term capital gain, you owe tax on that $5,000 gain in the 2022 tax year. And investors are able to deduct up to $3,000 uh, cap in losses from their total annual income from the year. But if someone has more than $3,000 of losses in their accounts for the year, that just gets carry forward for future years to be able to deduct off of future uh, income. Um, but I think that this is an appropriate time to take a look at that uh, before the end of the year, just because how weak uh, markets have been this year. Um, so I think everyone should be able to find uh, at least something to sell to, to help with the tax bill this year. So I think that's a great, great point to bring up. Um, turn it over to you. So I'm going to be a little quicker than normal um, this week. So the first piece I have, it's titled The Most Anticipated Recession Since 1968. So this, uh, the source I have on this is Ben Carlson, his uh, Wealth of Common Sense blog written on November 30th, Mark. Uh, Jenna's gonna put this chart up for our current YouTube viewers and for our traditional podcast listeners. This will be in our show notes. And what it does is it's a chart from Apollo that shows the probability of a recession over the coming 12 months in the Fed's survey, ready for this? of professional forecasters. Where can we get ourselves a job like that? I knew you were gonna say something like this. <laughs> I love it. They need to put us on the list. They do. Probably more of the accurate ones. <laughs> um, but okay, so the point I'm showing you this is since 1968, they're tracking this. And the highest it has been prior to now was 1978, which lo and behold, kind of coincides, Mark, 
with a really, really bad year for bonds. We were talking about the 60-40 portfolio. Mm -hmm. That was one of the years that was really poor for bonds. But the highest level it got was about 32, 33% of respondents were saying the probability of recession in the coming 12 months was high, right? We're at like 45%. When you see this chart, listeners and viewers, it is off the charts. That's vertical. So here's my point. You were just discussing a couple moments ago when everyone is expecting a certain thing to happen, what tends to happen? Opposite. So I'm not suggesting that a recession is not going to happen. What I'm suggesting is if everyone is prepared for something, they tend to be positioned, invested, allocated, use the word that's appropriate for that type of stance. And unless, and this is my opinion, it might be a hot take, but unless it's a really, really bad recession, I think the market is overly prepared for something bad to happen right now. Yeah, and it almost feels like, again, this is just an opinion, it almost feels like, you know, everyone's focused on the reset, the upcoming recession over here, right? Yep. And no one else is paying attention to anything else, and this could be like a, a perfect time for a, another I hate to say it, black swan event to happen that no one's expected because everyone's focused on what they think the next thing is going to be to bring down the markets that it's not. Or, or the other thing is everyone is like, okay, we're, we're bearing down for another 20, 30% down market. And then the market's up 20% next year. That's right. And so the, you make an excellent point on both of those examples. On your latter example, what I'd throw out there is, you know, a lot of corporate earnings are still higher from where they were a year ago. I talked about that on last time's podcast, some data from Argus, right? And you look at it and it's like, everyone's so focused that earnings should be going down, but a lot of companies are still going up. And, you know, stock prices tend to kind of follow the earnings trajectory of these companies. Again, a lot of this stuff is not gonna make sense. Um, people that are listening to this, for example, on the CPI report um, earlier this week, home builders, we're up like four or 5% on the day, right? Mm -hmm. And everyone's like, how? The housing market sucks right now. Um, well, number one, uh, lumber has significantly come in off the highs. So home builders Lower are saving than so much, yeah, Lower so than much money. And they're just letting that drop to their margins, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, so that's an example of, you know, a lot of this stuff isn't going to make sense. Home builders ripping when the housing market is really, really tough right now because interest rates are so high. People would look at that just on the onset and be like, that doesn't make sense. And there's going to be a lot of stuff, I think, next year that people are gonna feel that way. Yeah, like how is the stock moving? That doesn't make sense. Or we're in a recession, why are stocks going up? Well, they need to listen to the Independent Advisors podcast more consistently. <laughs> All right, next piece, Shameless ready? plug. Housing inflation data continues to slow. I don't mean to beat a dead horse, okay? But I'm just gonna hit this, it's gonna be two minutes. Okay. Calculated risk newsletter, blog post by Bill uh, McBridge on uh, December 1st. Jenna's gonna put this chart up. It shows market rents and PCE housing services inflation, real time data, Zillow, CoreLogic, CoreLogic, RealPage, apartment list. What it's showing is the real time data is coming in drastically, and then it overlays in red the PCE housing services that the government uses to look at housing. And again, just more data that it is lagging, and in the next roughly three to five months, you're going to have that slowly catch up. And I think it puts downward pressure on this inflation data. Yeah, and this chart kind of reminds me from a few months ago, once shipping uh, container rates started rolling over, this looks 
just like that. Yes, it does. So again, you know, don't be surprised if in the coming months, inflation data surprises Wall Street to the downside because the data is telling me that's what this is leading to. Right. Okay. I have a little fun thing for my last thing this week. Okay. And I just, I would just love your unfiltered input. Okay. Ready? I'm going to go over some financial quotes that just really, I enjoy. Okay. You know, it's been a tough year. I just, this would be fun. You ready? Have some fun. Here we go. Quote, as sure as the spring will follow the winter, prosperity and economic growth will follow a recession. Bo Bennett. Yeah, it's great. We talk about it all the time that, you know, some of the the best uh, economic times and growth periods and innovation come out of uh, recessions. So like that. I don't see how this time would be any different. Next quote. Every time one person buys, another sells and both think they are astute. End quote. William Feather. It's very true. Very true. I listened to a, um, a podcast the other day. Um, that it was they had a a guy on that was like a contrarian trader so mm -hmm. he just pretty much like gauges his own version of like market sentiment and what people are really bullish on what people are really bearish on and just takes like the opposite side of the trade so that's what made me think of that that you know whenever some person is you know hitting the bell that they're bullish buying 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 you know bitcoin or whatever asset class it is he's on the other side selling it so for every buyer there's a seller right that's right Next, quote, the four most dangerous words in investing are, this time it's different, end quote, Sir John Templeton. I don't think we need to go any further on that one. Next, quote, the investor's chief problem and his worst enemy is likely to be himself. In the end, how your investments behave it's, is much less important than how you behave, end quote. Yeah, and I think this is going to be more and more of a theme over the next decade than it has been in the past is, um, you know, uh, behavioral, behavioral investing mm -hmm. and controlling your emotions because, you know, we're in an age now that it's really easy. If you wanted to sell all your investments, like within 30 seconds, you can log in and do that. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas 20 or 30 years ago, you had to call your broker. Your broker had to place the trades and it was a lot more difficult. And I took had to a lot write more the trades time. out on a paper ticket. Yeah, you know, right? So um, there's a lot more pressure to act during times of volatility and <clears throat> times of market weakness now, in my opinion, than it was uh, 20 or 30 years ago. And a perfect example of that is is Robinhood. I've never had an account on Robinhood. I've just seen videos of it or talked to people that have. But it's you know the gamification of trading that well happened said. in 2020 just forces people to to want to act that much quicker. Mm -hmm. um, so I think you know Benjamin Graham obviously was way ahead of this, but this is going to play a, a larger and larger role I think over the next couple of years. Well said. My next one is quote. You're going to love this. If I had asked the public what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. End quote, Henry Ford. That's a good one. <clears throat> That's, That's deep. a really good one. That is deep. That's deep. I have to think about that for a little bit. I got three more. Quote, invest for the long haul. Don't get too greedy and don't get too scared. End quote, Shelby M.C. Davis. That's great. Quote, short-term volatility is greatest at turning points and diminishes as a trend becomes established, end quote, George Soros. Yeah, 
I think an example of that is everyone's favorite political activist. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, when we had we had uh, AJ Conway on the podcast a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about options and you know volatility and how that all kind of comes together. But um, this just makes me think of people usually put protection on when it's too late. (laughs) Well said, Uh, and vice versa. Yep. Um, So. Yeah, I think it's gonna. You're gonna see volatility. I think until the market turns around, and we might get one more good flush here, maybe where the short-term volatility is gonna spike. But I think after that, it might uh, start the the next beautiful uptrend in this market. I love it. Statistics. A lot of things we talked about the last three, four months. Back that up. Looking forward the next several years. Last quote for you. You ready? How many millionaires do you know who've become wealthy by investing in savings accounts? I rest my case, end quote. Yeah. Robert G. Allen. That's a good one. I was just talking to a buddy uh, yesterday when I was driving, um, and he was just asking my opinion on he's trying to buy a house in the next 12 to 16 months. You know, what do you should do with that money? And, you know, my answer today is very different than it would have been uh, a year ago. A year ago. Yeah. Right? Because you can get short-term T-bills that are paying uh, between 3 and 4% right now. That's right. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, very, uh, very true statement there by Robert G. Allen. So before I'm done, so before we have uh, Taylor join us for the financial planning topic of the week, Mark, would you like to uh, end uh, your segment with our listeners or viewers with anything? Yeah, I think that just the last thing as we go into the, the last you know two weeks of the year here is that in the beginning of this podcast, we talked about seasonality of December and how the last half of December tends to be pretty bullish for the market. Um, And regardless of what happens, it's going to be important information because if it, if it plays out like it does, then that's great. You know, investors are happy, but if December is negative, the second half of December is negative from here on out. That's really important information too, that this part of the year isn't acting like it normally does Uh, as investors. That's something that we need to take note of. So I'm going to be following that pretty closely, um, but that's all I got for you. All right. Well, we'll invite uh, Taylor on. Okay. See everybody next week. See you next week. Okay, listeners and viewers, we're going to have uh, Taylor Ledbetter. Uh, She's a a wealth advisor uh, with our firm, and she uh, is going to handle the financial planning topic of the week. So welcome, Taylor. Good to be back two weeks in a row. Two weeks in a row. So uh, what do you have on deck for our viewers and listeners this week? Yeah, so today I'm going to be talking about financial planning topics that mm-hmm. you should revisit at the end of the year or at least annually, if not this year, because I know there's only a couple weeks left. Yeah. Maybe plan for these topics next year. Very timely. Okay, I'm curious. So the first one I have down is probably going to be the, the simplest, the most common. Yeah. And it's just making sure, if possible, um, to max out any employee plans you have or any IRA accounts you have. Yes. So as a reminder for 401ks, 403bs, and 457 accounts, the maximum contribution annually for 2022 is 20500 And then individuals age 50 and older can defer a catch-up contribution so they can contribute an additional 6500 Got it. And then for simple IRAs, the maximum annual deferral is 14000 and the catch-up is 3000 
and all of these 2022 contributions are due by December 31st of this year. That's a calendar year, yes. 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 And then for Roth IRAs and traditional IRAs, the contribution limit is the lesser of $6,000 or 100% of earned income. For that calendar year. Yes. Correct. And I think that that really applies maybe to college students. Say they're, you know, going to school and well said. working. They only make $5,000 of That's earned income. That's all they can do then. That's all they can do. Yeah. IRAs do have a catch-up contribution as well of $1,000, but for IRAs, their 2022 contributions are due by April 18th of 2023. Okay. So you can contribute next year and consider a 2022 contribution. Great. The second topic I have is just thinking about doing a Roth conversion. So I know I've talked about this probably a few times on the podcast before, Sure. Um, but just as a reminder, a Roth conversion is when retirement funds are transferred from a traditional IRA or a 401k into a Roth IRA. So you'll pay taxes on those funds that you convert over, but you want to convert just enough not to bump you up into that next tax bracket. And this is very useful that if you are an individual where maybe your income has dropped in 2022 from 2021, mm -hmm. may give you more of an ability to do this without hitting that next tax bracket. Exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Or maybe you're, <clears throat> maybe you can't do it this year, but maybe your income is dropping next year. You say you're retiring. So you're going to want to wait. Exactly. <clears throat> so not always a year end topic, but you can always plan for it next year too. Yeah. And I think just to add to that, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you're going to be newly retired as you're insinuating going into 23 and you definitely want to consider that or in the following year, 24, when your income probably drops. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the point is doing it when your income is at the lowest you think it will be. Sure. Another interesting topic I think can be revisited anytime, but I just think it's interesting. It's opening up a Roth IRA for your kids or your grandkids, if possible. Great point. Um, so it'll just give them a huge head start for retirement. Yes. And as long as they have earned income, you <clears throat> should be able to contribute to the account as well. This is random and is not on the exact same wavelength, but I think will be helpful for our viewers and listeners, Taylor. If you are married and your significant other does not have earned income, but you have enough to qualify for that, mm -hmm. your spouse can make an IRA contribution, correct? Correct. Off of your income. Exactly. Okay, so mm -hmm. that is something to note. Now, it, it made me think of it, because if it's a child or grandchild, mm -hmm. you don't get that ability. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, you could only do 6,000 for the child or the grandchild, but between the two spouses. They have to have their own earned income exactly. to do it. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. yep. So another year-end topic to think about is looking into qualified charitable distributions. Oh yeah, QCDs. Mm -hmm. So QCDs are for individuals um, 70 and a half or older, and they can donate up to $100,000 to one or more charities directly from a taxable IRA. So you can do this instead of taking your required minimum distribution amount, um, and the donation amount is not included in taxable income. 
and the max I think is still is it still a hundred thousand? Mm-hmm. Yeah, still That's 100. what I saw. Yeah. 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 So just a, a good year-end topic to kind of plan for that if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, something else that's really important is evaluating your estate plan, at least annually. Do you think that's something that needs to happen once a year, or can it be spread out a little more? I think it depends upon the situation. Minimum three is mm-hmm. what I would throw out there. But definitely if um, you're getting in the latter chapters of life, um, maybe you have inclinations towards charity, you're starting to have maybe grandchildren later in life, definitely think that those would be kind of some of those triggers that would make mm-hmm. you, I want to revisit this definitely more often. Right, just major life events. Major life events. And that also goes into updating beneficiaries. I think you should revisit that at least every single year. Don't disagree. How many times have you and I been in a meeting, Taylor, where someone has an employer-sponsored plan and you would ask them, Hey, did, when's the last time you checked your beneficiaries? Oh, I, I did that a couple years ago. I'm all good. Mm-hmm. And you go in there and there's nothing. I think that happens more than having the beneficiaries listed. Well put. Mm-hmm. And I think it could happen for a magnitude of reasons. I think one of the most common is someone doesn't finish submitting them. Mm-hmm. I put it in, you know, I click submit. Well, they have probably a confirmation page and they just didn't, mm-hmm. they didn't weren't, you know, as diligent and finalizing it, right? Mm -hmm. Or they submitted a paper form and it never got processed. Yeah. Could be a a lot of reasons why it doesn't happen. But you and I see that a lot. I do. And I think also going off of that with, you know, employer plans are held at different places. So we can use Fidelity as an example. Okay. Maybe this employee has other investment accounts, not just their employee employer plan. Yes. So they might update beneficiaries on one investment account and assume it, it's automatic for all, but you have to go into each account. Two more points and you're, you're doing perfect on this. I'm thinking about like group term. If you work at an employer that offers group life insurance, you know, you need to make sure you update those beneficiaries. Mm -hmm. And the last comment I have is, and you've talked about this before, if you name a beneficiary on a 401k, and let's say it's a previous relationship, and you still have uh, an ex-spouse listed, if you don't update that and something happens to you, that money's Mm -hmm. still gonna go to him or her. Exactly. And I actually have seen these circumstances from afar. People have shared these stories with me and so it happens. That'd be a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I've heard some of the stories. So just remember, those are direct transfer investments. Mm-hmm. Who you list is who's going to get that money. Yeah, it doesn't seem important, but it's yeah. very important. The, the last topic I have down here is just reviewing your financial plan. So I know I've done you know, some financial plans, not for everybody here, but for a lot of clients here. Yes. So I think it's important to revisit that every single year um, or maybe we can create one next year too. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And those are really good um, um, actions to do, especially creating the written financial plan. It gives you so much, in my opinion, clarity on your financial future. I also think once you establish a base case, i.e. if we change nothing from what we're doing financially, Mm -hmm. how much we're saving, where our assets are at, how they're invested, it really gives an individual or a couple the ability to start looking at alternate scenarios. Mm-hmm. Well, what if we do X, Y, Z? You've got to have a benchmark to be able to compare that against. And I just think you do a really good job with that. Thanks. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. 
those are all the topics I had. I'm sure the list could be a lot longer. Oh, yes, it <laughs> could be. Absolutely. Those were, I thought, the most Some of the heavy hitters. Mm -hmm. Love it, Taylor. So um, for our viewers on YouTube, um, our office pup who goes home with me, my, my dog Louie, had just came into the office, has a bone, was messing with the camera. So uh, never a dull moment <laughs> in, in the office. But uh, before we sign off, Taylor, anything you want to leave our viewers or listeners with? Uh, no, I don't think so. I'll be back next week. So <laughs> So only thing I got besides what Mark uh, kind of finalized with is uh, start thinking about the calendar. You know, the end of the year is going to be here relatively quickly. And what January is going to bring is going to be what we call Q4 earnings season. And so what's going to happen is all these publicly traded companies are going to be reporting their fourth quarter 2022 earnings. Most of them will report at the end of January of 23 coming up here. And the thing I always love about earnings season, and Mark and I were talking about it earlier in the podcast, I know you heard him say this, it's gonna bring uh, the focus uh, back from inflation, the Fed, all these what ifs to the fundamentals. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, XYZ company actually grew their earnings year over year, but the stock is still down X percentage. Mm -hmm. That the earnings season in uh, say turbulent times tends to bring back, in my opinion, for the really good companies that are executing, a little bit of realization that, okay, things might not be as bad as XYZ stock price indicates. And that's not a blanket statement for every stock, mm -hmm. but you see what I'm saying. No, I agree 100%. I always enjoy earnings season because it mm -hmm. brings, brings back to the fundamentals and um, why people own stocks to begin with. Right, because we always get good reports for the most part. Yeah, yeah, they do pretty mm -hmm. good. So, all right, we'll, we'll sign off. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to episode number 180 of the Independent Advisors podcast. Myself, Mark, and Taylor hope everyone has a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.